Good morning. Bill Snell is my name. I have the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I have had the honor of serving uh, with Clark and Martha, Tammy and I, for in ministry for a number of years uh, prior to Grace Church and then served here as executive pastor for five years and um, till he kicked me out and had to find my own way. And so we, uh, we've been serving with uh, Missionary Ventures uh, for the last uh, six years as president, and uh, I get an opportunity to, uh, to share a little bit about what we see God doing throughout the world, and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be with you this morning. Everybody doing all right? Uh, by the way, I, I do have to claim responsibility for the hurricane. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, but every time Tammy and I go to Africa and... Uh, a hurricane hits Central Florida every dadgum time. And uh, why that is the case, I don't know, but it, uh, that's where we were when the hurricane hit. And uh, we had very little damage at our place, praise God, but that is, others were not nearly as fortunate. So I, I grieve and hurt for those that have lost so much. In fact, I hear there's uh, some, such damage up in New Smyrna from, uh, from flooding and all of that. I had no idea there was that much impact uh, so far north of where the uh, hurricane hit further south. Uh, well, God's in charge. I want to speak to you this morning about, and I have, uh, by the way, the, uh, uh, a few, few comments, won't take long, and then I have lots of show and tell. I'm going to show you lots of pictures of some of the recent uh, travels that we've done, give you some indication of what we see God doing, uh, which is just a small piece of, uh, of God's master plan throughout the world, but it is so fun to celebrate. Uh, some part of it that we get to experience. Uh, but the title this morning is Love Without Limit, Transforming Nations. I am absolutely convinced that that is God's plan and purpose, is to transform nations. And uh, he starts with us individually, and as transformed individuals, we, ha we get the opportunity, the privilege, if you will, of rep representing Jesus in a way in which he gets to transform uh, the world to his redemptive purposes. If you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, this will be my uh, primary uh, passage, and then I'll, uh, others I'll bring into play. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, uh, the word says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What a great passage. I'm going to just, uh, just take a moment to unpack that just a little bit, but we all with unveiled face. That word unveiled literally means face to face. It means that there's no separation. There's no smoke and mirrors when it comes to our relationship with God as believers. There's no mask required. I don't have to pretend about anything when it comes to relating to God through Christ. Now, the implications of that can be quite startling for those that think that there must be some sort of representation or presentation or efforts on our part to somehow grant us warm and comfortable entrance into the presence of God. But praise God that that is not left up to us, that Jesus took care of that. 
But we all with unveiled face, unmasked face, no disguise, beholding now, the Word says, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Now, in a mirror, it, it talks about, it's, it's looking at your own reflection, which is quite interesting to think about. If I'm looking at my own reflection from glory to glory, there are just certain times during uh, any given day when that's not really quite what I see, not with my physical eye. There's not a whole lot of things I'm just absolutely proud of every day about performance, about activities, about my own self-righteousness, things of that sort. Thank goodness again, that's not what I'm to be looking at. The Word says here, beholding as, a, as, in, a, as in a mirror, which means seeing the, the image of Christ being revealed in me. Now, if you're looking at your performance, you're not going to see from glory to glory. You're not going to see it. And the Lord is teaching us and training us to see His reflection happening through us. Now, listen, you're, you're being transformed. You, you, there's many things that are complete and finished in your life, but as a result of that, there's transformation happening in the way that you think, the way that you see reality, the way that you live, the way you, were, you do all kinds of things. But isn't that wonderful? And it's from the glory of the Lord that we're, we're seeing as in a mirror His reflection from us. And are being transformed, the Word says, into the image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. You know, I've, uh, I've met lots of people throughout my life, as you, and some I've been quite impressed with and some not so. And uh, those that I'm impressed with are typically not the ones that are platform-related people. They're, they're people that I can relate to and, inspire, uh, and inspired by because of the way they conduct their lives, not how well they speak or how well they dress or whatever. Uh, that doesn't impress me much, as Shania might say. So, uh, so, yeah, I thought about singing it, but I won't do that. So anyway, the... Uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's it, people that are real, that are, that are living life in, in, which, in, in a manner in which you can relate to, that, are, that is inspirational. Those are the kind of people I'm impressed with. And the world is looking for Christians that conduct themselves in that reality. Real people that are being transformed, right? Not religious people. Not terribly impressive. Uh, you know, they say a lot, but don't do a lot. They talk a lot, but they don't live a lot, unfortunately. And so the world is looking, looking and watching all the time. I want to give you some supporting verses to the one I just read here. They won't be on the screen, but uh, it won't take a moment to go through them. Psalms 33:12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Now, I'm leading toward the transforming of nations and why transformation of our own lives is essential for that to happen, Okay. Psalms 22, 28, the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. Genesis 18, 18, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What's very important about that is that Abraham was the first recipient of a grace-based, God-initiated covenant, which now we see the fulfillment of in the new covenant in Christ, right? In him all the nations of the earth will be blessed in that grace-based relationship. Proverbs 14, 34. 
Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Tammy and I just returned from uh, Africa, Zambia and South Africa, and it was in South Africa that we had many conversations about lots of things with the, with the people that we know very well there. And some of that turns to politics, and some of that turns to government leaders and so forth, and comparing notes with each other about what's happening in South Africa as compared to what's happening in the U.S. And unfortunately, we're, we're paving many of the same paths. Um, I, I won't go into that. You, you draw your own conclusions. Things are not as they can be and should be, for certain. Um, God has a plan and a purpose in the midst of all that's going on. As fast as culture seems to be decaying, as fast as people seem to be voted in that have their own agendas rather than the agendas of representation of the people. Certainly, in comparison to representing the Lord, the way of righteous judgment and righteous leadership, you know, culture decays in a hurry. Sin is a disgrace among the people and disgraces a nation. And all you have to do is look at other television stations outside of the U.S., and they seem to paint a more clear picture about current politics than we see here in America of our own. When we go to the creation account, you can turn with me to Genesis 128, and I'll read that in just a moment. In the creation account, God reveals his intention about transformation. And he reveals it in a sense in which his plan, his purpose is to align heaven with earth. His ways, making itself known in created account. Um, and these two entities, the spiritual and the physical, vastly different from one another. And yet God's plan is that they fit. That they meld together. Uh, the, the word we have used Clark and others in leadership here is the, is the concept of union. God's plan and purpose is to bring into union the creation as well as himself, the uncreated. And uh, so uh, knowing that is true, we begin to work through uh, this whole concept of transformation and how we get in on that. The way I know that that is true about heaven and earth being melded together in a perfect, unified fashion, that that's God's plan and purpose, is to look to Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect prototype of what God intends. God and man, right? Perfectly unified. Perfectly unified. And when we come into Christ, we come into him, and he is in the Father, the Father's in him, and we become one with him by faith. And uh, that by his own doing. So there's this masterful prototype of what God intends. And humanity is designed by God to enter into that union with God as they come to Christ by faith. Uh, so let's read Genesis 1.28. Here God blesses man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he says to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The word subdue means to lord over. It actually means to quieten. I think that's interesting. To subdue means to quieten, to bring it in order, to calmly oversee and give direction, uh, and to exercise authority over it, to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves upon the face of the earth. So man's assignment, his birthright, if you will, was to oversee with, with righteous administration and righteous management all of creation. What an obligation but what an opportunity. 
to express something that would be so fulfilling, so dynamic, and so powerful. Of course, we know what, uh, what Adam and Eve chose to do. Instead of accessing the tree of life that God had given to them, that would make sure that righteousness would be a part of them so they could exercise righteous authority. Uh, they, they rejected that aspect. They didn't understand it completely. Obviously, they would have done what they did. But out of deception, they chose independence. And in that independence, there was separation. And they were exited out of the garden where the access to the tree of life was. The tree of life was Christ. The life of God designed to be consumed by man, by faith, so that the two would become one. The source of eternal life would be dwelling inside of created life, just as we see in Jesus. So, if you want to find out more about the implications of that and the dark side of it, all you have to do is go to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 3. We're not going to go there now, but please, I invite you to look at that to see what the impact of that has been. So, since the, the fall, if you will, since sin entered the equation, all of creation has been suffering. It's been groaning under a weight that it was not designed to be governed by. And... Uh, Redemption stepped into time and space. The masterful plan of God, which had been planned and performed even before the created act occurred, was that the lamb would be slain, that Jesus would actually agree to what would soon take place in the, in the sequence of time, that he would lay down his life, he would become one with creation, and he would offer his perfect life and sacrifice on behalf of those that could not pay the price for their own guilt. And so redemption began to play itself out. And the whole earth is benefited by that. When uh, this is back in 2002, 2003, I can't ever remember the exact dates, uh, I was in Fiji. By the way, that was the time another hurricane hit. In fact, that was when three hurricanes hit. And I told my wife before I left, that's not going to happen. Good night. We've already, had, we've already had one. There's not going to be another. Little did I know that there would be two more. But one would hit while I was gone. And, uh, but while I was in Fiji, we were discovering uh, with a troop of others what, what transformation looked like in a physical sense when, when, when people would turn their lives over to Christ and would begin to live in obedience to the Word of God and to the Lord, what would that look like? Would it have tangible effect? The answer is it does. And the earth and the, the land in which they were governing actually started breathing differently, if I could use such a term. It began to produce uh, fruit and vegetables and things that it was not up to that time. Uh, I, I probably have said this before, but there was one, one group, we were on the seashore and we were talking to a, a chieftain, and the chieftain was describing what the encounter that he had had with God and, and how, uh, how it broke his heart, and when he gave his life to Christ, that new life came flooding in, and because there's such a sense of an understanding of authority, the entire village individually started giving their lives to Christ in honoring of what they saw happening to their chief. And so the whole village was, was born again, at least from what we could tell. And the, the, the reef that they had been relying on for their sustenance, uh, uh, half mile out, mile out, 
had died. It wasn't producing. There were no fish uh, up to this point in time. But things were happening so dramatically and so fast that Jacques Cousteau's group was out there. Now Jacques had already passed away, but his son and the, uh, the Calypso, I guess, assuming that was the only ship they had, we could see it out there. Uh, and they were investigating how a reef could come back to life so fast. It normally takes 100 years or 200 years for a dead reef to be revived. And yet, seemingly, in months and even short years, a reef is coming back to life. And there's no conclusion to be drawn except that God had begun to have freedom to do what he does best. And that's to bring restoration and healing and transformation through his people uh, into life itself. It was marvelous. I just enjoyed it so much. I was so privileged to it, even though a tree had fallen on our house here in Florida. And my wife was not happy with me about being gone. <laughs> so uh, Romans 8, 18 through 23 describes what I just said. Romans 8, 18 through 23. For I consider, the word says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Listen to this now, verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of what? Revealing of the sons of God, you and me. The revealing of transformed, spiritually transformed men and women who've come into union with heaven itself, with God himself. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Set free into what? Into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You need to spend some time on that, much more than I have, because I believe there is so much that can be impacted in these verses that will help you capture God's full intent in you through his redemptive plan and purpose in your life. It's not just a ticket out of here, dear friends. That's not why Jesus died only. Not just to save you out of here, but to save you here. And to bring into you his life, his plan, his purpose, his, his ways of doing things so that heaven is revealed on earth. And there's a great plan and purpose for that when that begins to happen. And uh, so we'll move on to see if we can discover that. You'll remember that prior to Jesus' betrayal, really just the eve before, before his unjust trial, before the persecution, before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed this very prayer. He said, Father, I pray that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So there's union that Jesus is praying for, and I suspect that the Father heard his prayer and answered. Do you agree with me about that? I suspect that Jesus' prayer was heard and answered. I pray that they be one, talking about they being those who would come by faith to Christ, and so for this purpose, that the world might believe that you sent me. There's something glorious about union with God that makes itself known in life in which the world is looking for and praying for and hoping for and has no way of putting words to it because they don't know what they're looking for. But when they see it, they're drawn into the omis oh and what could be's and so forth. 
All the authority has been granted to me, Jesus later said, in heaven and earth just before he ascends. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All authority in heaven and earth, the union that, that Jesus had come to exhibit, God and man together, oneness, giving up his life, and in that, all authority granted to him by the Father. And then he says to us, now go. Go, he's speaking to the disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. There, that's in Matthew 28, 18 to 19. So the body of Christ, you and me, now please think of yourself, not, not an institution, not an organization so much. Think of yourself, that you, a member of the body of Christ, has the unique privilege as a restored and renewed individual, a believer in Christ, having an assignment that Jesus has given to you. And by the way, when he gave that assignment, he gave it with a beaming smile. I'm convinced of this. You wait and ask him when you see him. When he gave that go into all the earth, I guarantee you he was smiling, beaming, because he knew that those who would take him up on his command, on his insistence to go, that they would find the greatest fulfillment in life that one could ever find, the greatest adventure. Now, go doesn't always mean going to Africa. For some of you, might be going to Louisiana, and God help you. That's where you're being sent. <laughs> Anybody from Louisiana here? God bless you. Love you. Um, or Bithlo. <laughs> Just playing. So anyway, but, but going means representing, representing Christ alive. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, in the marketplace, in the home, with your children, with your grandchildren, uh, with opportunities that God gives you in relationships, presenting Christ alive as, a, as an individual that has been transformed to some degree and is being transformed by the renewing of the mind, by the changing of our hearts and so forth. Wow, it's just incredible the opportunities we have before us. And as we do that, we're called as ambassadors of Christ. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We're ambassadors with full fledged authority to do exactly what he called us to do. Psalms 2.8 is a messianic psalm recorded, speaks to us, I'm confident of, but obviously speaking to the Messiah specifically that he would soon come. The word says, ask of me and I will give you the nations. I will give the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. Ask of me, he says. I believe there's something sacred and divine about a body of Christ, individuals who say, Lord, I want more, more influence, not more possessions. The more you have, the more you're owned by what you have. So, I mean, it's nice to have the things we have. But it's the influence, it's the impact that really stir you up and make you uh, sleep at night with an expectation, what does tomorrow bring? Isn't that right? Don't you want to have that kind of impact? And I know that you've had some, but what about the much more is, that is possible there? How will we receive the nations under the banner of God's redemptive plan other than just to go and to do what he's called us to do? So I'm convinced there's no greater fulfillment and adventure in life than going. There's no greater purpose in life than to knowingly represent Christ as the light of the world and doing it as sons and daughters, not as 
outside individuals doing their best to try to imitate the master. Sons and daughters carrying his DNA, and we are being transformed the more that we present him, the more that we represent him. And those who understand the magnificence of God's abundant and saving grace are those that are best positioned in my mind, and I'm pretty certain I'm right about this, those who comprehend and understand grace theology are best positioned to walk by the Spirit and not the flesh. And the reason why is because we have discovered both theologically and practically that our best efforts will never, ever substitute for the finished work of Christ. That what He has done and what He has completely done and what He has done fully and magnificently is both sacred in its, in its uh, physical sense, but it is eternal as well. I can't improve upon that. But my best behavior and my honor and my obedience makes sense as I'm being transformed. I have the ability to act and live righteously because I am righteous in Christ. I can live holy because I'm declared holy by the Father in Christ. I can sanctify my mind and the things around my life and the way that I exercise uh, life itself because I'm already sanctified. See, you're operating from a finished work into our lives which are still revealing itself or being transformed, right? So you can grow and you can mature even though the finished work is already full and accomplished. That's the reason why in a snap of a finger and the blink of an eye, when you're gone out of this world, you wake up, it's all finished right then and there because you're finished now. Not just finished then, you're finished now in terms of what Christ has accomplished. Now listen, that's good news. And, and you have opportunities to share that right and left, up and down, in all different directions. Are you ready for some pictures? I want to show you some things. Uh, just before we get to that, uh, in Colossians 2.10, the word says, we are complete in him. We are complete, and uh, our completeness is not determined by what we do. It's fully determined upon what Christ did. But we're to go. We're going to all the world, and we're to make disciples. And if you can't go, then you ought to make a disciple and send somebody. If you can't do that, if you can't send somebody, then disciple somebody and support those that go. If you can't support, then make disciples and pray that the Lord of the harvest sends forth labors into the field because the fields are ripe. So what's the common element? Make disciples. Teach people what you know. You're not a Clark Whitten. You're not a Bill Snell. Hopefully you're far better uh, in terms of your comprehension of biblical truth and so forth. But what you have is what you have to give. And give it. Disciple. Train up. Build up. Support. Encourage. Do what you can do. And in, the, in that, the Lord will, will be honored, of course. Lives will be transformed. And you're going to find yourself in a and a path of life which uh, is never going to have a dull moment. Guarantee you about that. Now, let's go through some, let's go through some photos. I'm going to show you this, this first slide. Yeah. Now, what I'm about to show you, uh, this is, has to do with the, uh, the European nations. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just give you some ideas of some things about what's happening through uh, missionary ventures. Again, we're just a microcosm. We're just a small piece of what God's doing throughout the world. But this is what I know. And so this is what I can, I can easily talk to you about what's going on. So uh, what's happened here recently 
is in these nations and in Europe, uh, there is a, there's a move of God that we are identifying uh, and uh, stepping into, into agreement. And the, what we've seen happen is in, in the ministries in Greece, uh, we've had uh, all different kinds of people come from all over the, uh, from Pakistan, from Syria, from all different kinds of war-torn countries, hoping to find entrance and, and home in the European Union. Greece is, a, is the closest place that they come to, and so there's been a real collection spot for all of these, uh, these refugees, if you will, asylum, asylum seekers, which has given great opportunity for ministry, and we've had some very impacting missionary activities there. Uh, with house churches and people coming to Christ, all, all Muslim in their background, uh, discovering that, that Christians aren't these, um, these devilish creatures that they've been led to believe. Uh, not all of them, anyway. Uh, and so uh, what they're very impressed with, with the Christians uh, that are pouring their lives into their lives. And so there's been a major movement of, of Muslims coming to Christ. And in that, uh, churches are being planted, and many of those are being uh, dispersed throughout the European Union, and, and they want to continue what they experienced in Greece. And so we're seeing house churches planted throughout Europe. And so now our missionaries who've been stationed in Greece, they're, by the way, they're, uh, they're uh, where, honey? Switzerland? No, uh, Sweden. They're both, uh, both families are from, from Sweden. And so they're now, uh, one family has moved back to Sweden because so many of these, these migrants, these refugees have moved into, the, into that area. Uh, but many have also moved into Germany. So our, our primary mission family is going to move into Germany. So we're just seeing all of a sudden um, uh, this, this uprising. I believe it's just a God movement of churches that are, are just being raised up. Uh, small to begin with, but they're plentiful and they're just moving throughout the land. And I think, that, here's what I think is happening. Since much of Europe was the, was the beginnings of the missionary movements throughout the world, and where the life of God was most evident and clear, but many, you know, hundreds of years ago, since that time, they've, they've declined significantly. The churches, not, only, not just in attendance, but in life and so forth, it's just, it's, it, it can really be depressing to see the, the, the typical church in the European area. But wouldn't it be something if Muslim believe, Muslims coming to faith in Christ would be the catalyst for revival in Europe? I mean, that's entirely possible. Wouldn't it be awesome if that was happening? And we believe we're seeing some of that, and it's so it's, we, we believe it's a God movement, and we're just doing the best we can to get in on it. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, this, is, this just happened within the last two months. ASEAN is the uh, Association of Southeast Asian Nations. Um, it's a, a grouping of about 10 nations, I believe, and you can see some of them. I don't know if you can read them or not, but you can look it up. It's, well, it's Thailand, there's Myanmar, there's Laos, there's Vietnam, there's Philippines, Cambodia, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Brunei, and uh, I might have missed one or two. But these are, the, these are the countries that, Cambodia, these are the countries that make up ASEAN. It's a, it's a, it's a governmental, political organization uh, to help in trade, to help economically, to help in, in political issues and so forth. And what we have begun to see is that there are the churches that are in these countries uh, have, have some unique and similar ways about thinking and about the way they worship and so forth, even though they're cross-denominational. And we... We've seen that if with just a little bit of organizational structure, 
pastors want to be aligned who want to plant churches. They want to be aligned to those that want to reach out and minister and, and show Christ and demonstrate Christ in the lives of others. And, and so we've, we've just now launched mission ventures, not missionary. Missionary is a negative term in, in Asia. So mission is okay. Missionary, not okay. So mission ventures, uh, ASEAN, is, uh, is what's just happening. And we're seeing dozens and dozens and dozens of pastors from all these nations beginning to cooperate. And what's beautiful about this is uh, they're setting up their own kind of, uh, it's, it's not a denomination, it's an association of like-minded pastors and leaders. And, and they will, it'll be the nationals that will make decisions. It'll be the nationals that do the planning. It's not the U.S., dictating to them how things to be done. It's, it's, they're the ones, and we're just bolstering and supporting. It's, anyway, it's just absolutely beautiful. Let's go to the next one. Uh, this is the, uh, you guys know some, something about this. The transportation ministry that we are privileged to be part of is a result of having a ministry partnership with the Christian Motorcycles Association. I'm wearing their shirt today. And this will give you some idea of some of the impact that we have. Uh, and it's about 35 years now in terms of partnership. And the Christian Motorcycle Association every year raises funds, and they give 60% of those funds away that's raised through uh, this Run for the Sun mechanism that they have. And 20% of that comes to Missionary Ventures. Uh, uh, so a third of the 60% comes to Missionary Ventures. That was $1.152 million last year. And, and with those monies, our commitment is, is to buy transportation and distribute that among uh, national pastors and leaders that don't have any form of transportation or the transportation that they have is broke down and, uh, and, or is borrowed or something. And it's amazing that you give them a tool like that, how ministry explodes. To give you some idea, I'll look up here and see the impact. Uh, well, we've given uh, 16,000 forms of transportation over 35 years, and um, over 16,000 pastors have been, uh, have been equipped with some form of transportation and that has equated to over 18 million people saved just because of transportation in 35 years. And I mean, that's a huge number, but I, I, it, it's staggering to me. And it, it gives you, thank you, it gives some indication. It, it gives some indication um, how God turns addition into multiplication. You know, one plus one partnership between two ministries doesn't equal two is equal, equaling millions and millions and millions of, of people being impacted. And so, you know, this just, it's just a God thing we've, we've stumbled into uh, many years ago. I inherited it. I didn't instrument it, but I get the, uh, the privilege of being a part of it. So it's, it's a wonderful piece. All right, uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, before I talk about this particular slide, this is when we, this is our, our Zambia trip here just recently. We have a, a missionary, his name is Nikolai Zalutsky. When you think of the name Nikolai, please pray for him. Nikolai is Ukrainian born, he's about my age, might be a year or two younger, um, and he has been serving in um, Russia for over 20 years as a missionary. And thousands upon thousands of churches have been planted through his leadership there in Russia. Well, when the Ukrainian war broke out, Russia-Ukraine war, uh, Nikolai was forced to denounce his Ukrainian citizenship or, and I don't know what the ramifications would have been, but it probably wouldn't have been good. Imprisonment, most likely. And so uh, Nikolai, along with his uh, family of five, total of five, uh, decided to exit 
Russia by foot, uh, had to leave everything behind except for what they could carry, exited Russia uh, into Latvia, crossed the border into Latvia, and received a green card in record-breaking time. His entire family now lives just outside of Tampa, Florida. And uh, this has just happened within a few months ago. And Nikolai now is, is going back and forth to Poland, Latvia and Poland, because over four million refugees from Ukraine are in Poland alone. Four million. Now, the crisis is real, and you see the faces of the people, and many, many husbands and sons have been killed, and of course, ladies and children as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, these are desperate, devastated people that have lost literally everything. And yet, it's an opportunity for God to sweep in and to do something supernaturally amazing in their lives. And so, um, we're, we're believing and expecting that we'll have, we'll have significant ministry opportunities uh, organized and fashioned there in Poland and in some of the uh, European nations around Russia. Praise God for that. All right, now, this picture. I'll go through these real quick. This is, uh, this is a team from the Christian Motorcycle Association from the U.S. that met, met Tammy and me in Zambia here just about a month ago. Uh, we spent two weeks in Zambia. Here we are uh, in a place where they were staying, the team was staying, and they brought all these different kinds of goods, and we're going to package them all up together, and we're going to be distributing among uh, a number of churches. And so there they are uh, putting stuff together. There's another picture of them. Keep going. Uh, this is the, uh, what's the name of it, honey? Flying Mission. That's the name of this compound that the team was staying in, and they, they fly uh, it's, it's a missionary organization. They fly goods into hard-to-reach areas and so forth. And you can see the hangar in one of the airplanes that was there. Keep going. Uh, just outside of uh, our missionary's house, we had a, a gathering together. We were kind of fellowshipping and had food after a Sunday service. And a couple of uh, Elizabeth Ratliff, who's our missionary, some of her friends had come to the tender church. These are believers. And they came with their motorcycles. We got a couple uh, GSs there. And... Uh, the CMA does what they do best. He said, well, uh, we'd like to pray for you and pray for your motorcycle. Now, in, in, in motorcycle rallies in the U.S., if you ask a biker if, if you can pray for him, he or she uh, is likely to say, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you anyway. But if you ask, would you like us to pray for your motorcycle, they all say yes. <laughs> they all say yes. And they, and they want the sticker on it that says, Blessed on their motorcycle. And, but it gives an opportunity for the, for the Christian motorcycles to pray for the transportation and its dependability and so forth and safe travels and so forth, but they always focus the attention on the rider and, uh, and give opportunity just to declare Christ is Lord and Savior over their lives. And, and sometimes they ex accept and sometimes they don't. In every case, it's a seed planted in their lives. So anyway, it's a marvelous thing, and this is what they're doing here. Here's the team in front of a baobab tree. And we're now in the Sinazongwe area, which is a very arid, uh, kind of a desolate area. Next slide. Uh, this is one of the churches that we went to, and we gave food parcels to, uh, in three churches uh, of the uh, ten of the most destitute. And this is a picture of some of those. Next. And the kids lining up, they're going to get some treats. And some of these kids have never seen a white person in their life, and so uh, some of them were quite terrified. And uh, so Tammy was hoping to give them things, but they would they'd just scream and duck behind their mother. So she was trying to back up and hold the, hold the candy in her hand like that so, uh, uh, so they could somehow get candy. But these were 
or not afraid. Here's some pictures of them. Next slide. Look at that cutie. Yeah. Uh, this is a church uh, that we, we were in three churches, if not four, uh, that Robin Cox raised funds for. How many people know who Robin Cox is? Robin was a good friend of mine, and he worked for Clark in, uh, at uh, Calvary a Church. He was an evangelist there, and we became great friends. He worked in the department that I oversaw. And uh, when, when Robin exited the pastoral ministry, he was still, his heart was in Africa, and so he would raise funds to build churches. And this is one of the churches uh, that uh, Robin raised funds to build. Next slide. Uh, this is Pastor Bernard. He was our, he's our designate uh, representative in this whole area. We've worked with him for dozens of years. Amazing man. This is a wellhead that had just been completed. And uh, water is very hard to find in these areas. Very, very expensive. Uh, but Robin raised enough funds for us to, to dig a well. And the, the manual uh, tools for manual pumping uh, has already been ordered and paid for. It just hadn't been installed yet. So uh, I, sent, I took a picture of that. Next picture. This is the inside of the building. By the way, to give you some idea, uh, this building cost about $8,000 to build, uh, which is phenomenal. It's a beautiful building, the best building in the whole community. It'll stand for decades and decades. Just absolutely gorgeous. And you can see how well they keep it. Yep, keep going. Uh, this is the next church. We stopped and give some, some food supplies there. Keep going. And... Uh, oh, uh, go ahead, go to the next slide. I'll explain this. This is, we were able to give two motorcycles away uh, while we were there. The pastors had no idea that they were going to, that they were being selected or that they'd be receiving them, but they've been carefully screened by Bernard, who you saw earlier. They've already been through a two-year seminary and uh, were, are functioning and have been for years as pastors and uh, had no form of transportation whatsoever. So we were able to give them each a motorcycle. Here we're praying for, for that. Next slide. Here's the motorcycle being wheeled down and uh, during the service. Next one. There's the other. By the way, if, uh, if any of you ride motorcycles, uh, these motorcycles are, are built in India. These are TVSs. And uh, Japanese are some of the best motorcycles you can buy. They're just very, very expensive, especially in Africa. Uh, uh, this, these are about 150 cc's, I believe. Uh, a 150 cc Japanese bike, a Yamaha Honda, will cost us anywhere between six and $7,000. These cost around 2000 And they're very dependable, very rugged. The parts are readily available. And so I can give three of these for the price of, of one Japanese, and we're finding that they're just uh, almost as well built. So we do our very best to try to find the best we can for the money and, and have as great an impact. Keep going. This is uh, one of the places that we stayed. This is a Lake Kariba uh, out there, but it's a, it's a beautiful area. You get some idea of the terrain there. Next slide. Uh, this is the little bungalow that Tammy and I stayed in. You go inside it, and you have the screened-in bed because there might be mosquitoes. And uh, a, a boulder uh, is uh, kind of comes into the, into the room, very decorative and beautiful. And then the little bathroom in the back, very neat. Just a couple slides to give you some indication of the landscape. Isn't it pretty? Yeah, that's the lake behind. This is the next church that we went to. Pastor Bernard with us. Keep going. Uh, Pastor uh, Robin raised funds for this one as well. Uh, this is Mark and Tammy Hyde, and then my Tammy and myself, uh, they're the national uh, set of national evangelists for Christian Motorcycles Association. They live in Wyoming. They're the ones that led this team. Next slide. Uh, now we're in Livingston, 
and uh, we'll be flying out of Livingston uh, the next day. And so on this day, we did a, a game drive early in the morning to give them some idea of what wild game. And so, yeah, there's, this is just no telephoto lens. This is just outside the, uh, the vehicle. This is the mighty Zambezi River behind us there. Uh, rhinos. Uh, you can see there's straw. Go back to that. Uh, there's straw there and with the rhinos. Can you go back? That's okay. You don't need to. They'll remember it. But the straw was put there to, to attract the rhinos and to keep them there. There are no fences. This is all wild, uh, wild preserve. And, uh, but we had a very close uh, connection. And these are the guards that took us there. Next. His legs are getting tired. You need to get to there. You go. Okay. This is Victoria Falls. Uh, we were, uh, it had about 40% water flow from what it can have. And so it, it makes great for photography. You don't have nearly as much mist. Uh, keep going. And uh, then we had a, a, a two-hour river cruise for the team. And uh, so you get to see some wildlife along, this, along the side. Keep going. Sunset. All right, now this is a, a couple that we always spend a week with when we go. This is now in South Africa. This is Dave Sealiers and his wife, Irene. Dave is a motorcycle journalist. And so the manufacturers of motorcycles uh, fly him all over the world. He test drives and, and then writes up his experience on the motorcycles. So when we go, he lives there in Pretoria, South Africa. He can set up the motorcycles. It doesn't cost me anything. Praise God, and off we go for an adventure in Africa, and we do that for a week each time we, we go. Next slide. This is uh, one of the passes that we went on. Uh, give you some indication of the, uh, of the road structures that we were riding on. By the way, it was on this road that Tammy stepped off the motorcycle. She wanted to take some photos and twisted her ankle really, really bad, and so we had to piggyback her for the next two or three days, and it's still sore. She still got it taped up. Keep going. There we are. All right, then we, uh, we're concluding our experience with, uh, with the elephant encounter, and uh, we get to, you could actually rub the elephant's tongue uh, with whatever fruit that they gave us. Pretty neat experience. Keep going. Getting a hug there. Yeah, that's a classic right there. And the, that's an Inyala, and he's trying to decide, what in the world were you doing to that gal? Uh, these are, this is just an idea of what you'll find when you're, when you're traveling. We're in the Karoo, by the way. You can look that up on the Internet. It's, it's like Moab, Arizona, New Mexico combined. Give you some indication of the, of the desolate kind of high-altitude high kind of area. And you just find places like that that are on the side of the road, and it's a really amazing. These are the motorcycles we rode in a place we stayed in, New Bethesda. Next slide. That's it. So, um, I, I sh thank you. I, I share those pictures with you because going doesn't have to be a, an ordeal. It can be fun. And the people you get to see and the people you get to encounter will most likely have more impact on you than you'll have on them. And my prayer is that you find some way to personally engage in a mission trip. We'll help you do that. All you have to do is contact us. We'll figure out a way how to, how to organize a trip. I'd like to do it. We've done it through uh, Grace Church in times past. I'd love to see that happen again. I know we've done it through the youth, but maybe, 
Maybe we can do a, an, an adult trip someplace to give you an opportunity to teach and share and pray and minister and, and do some of the things you see here, and you'll be glad you did. We'll have the adventure of our lives. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you that the Christian life is more filled with adventure than we could possibly imagine, far more than what the average church comprehends and talks about. But Lord, our going is in obedience to you, but boy, the opportunity of representing you to a world that is growing more and more desperate to know that God loves them and that Jesus has come. So Lord, would you show us how to be more effective than ever before? Show us how to go. I pray for the finances to make those things possible. I pray for leadership to be more turned on to life and ministry, both domestically and internationally than ever before. And Lord, we believe that there's much more going on than what, the, what meets the eye and that you're in charge and that your face is shining. Your countenance is glowing, not with exasperation and frustration, but with joy and excitement about what your plan and your purpose will be to those who receive it. Show us how to participate in greater ways, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone.